Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players, where theatrical people play role playing games. I'm Matt Boothman, and I'm your compare for this main house production. Here on Merely Role Players, we improvise stories for your entertainment and our own, and we use role playing games to keep the story going places even we can't see coming, because as theatrical people, we're all about maximising the drama. This is Act 1 of Vigil, Quarry, one of our main house productions. The main house is where we stage ongoing, serial stories, with characters and plots that develop and unfold over several productions. Vigil is the story of the outsiders and weirdos who step up to defend their neighbours from monsters and worse, after the government cuts their town's official team of paranormal investigators. To tell this story, we're playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat. Quarry is the fifth Vigil production. You don't need to have caught up on the first four to enjoy Quarry, but they do share a setting, characters, and some ongoing plot threads. Starting now, we'll release a new act of Quarry every other week, and to keep you going through the weeks in between, we'll release backstage episodes that give you a peek behind the scenes, so stay tuned for one of those next week. For now, though, please take your seats in the main house. Tonight's production is about to begin. Vigil a Merely Role Player's main house production. Quarry, Act 1 of 4. Let's reintroduce ourselves to the players for this Main House Vigil production, all of whom have been in Vigil before, but some of some voices that you won't, won't have heard in a while, and a combination of voices that you will not have heard together before. So who do we have? Hi, I'm Vicky. I'm playing Renko the Flake, and you will last have heard me in Vigil Playtime. Hello, I'm Strat. I'm playing Briar the Monstrous, and you'd have last heard me in uh, Vigil Cold Snap. Hi, I'm Chris Darkey, and I'm playing Cameron Laronde, and I was also in Cold Snap. Hi, I'm Helen. I'm playing Melody the Constructed. Um, you'll have heard me in Taurus Trap, but if you're listening to Studio as well, I believe you'll have heard me in Andromeda Ward and um, <laughs> Lights Out in between. Great. So, uh, Vicky, you're 
we haven't heard from you in quite a long time. Yes. Are you excited <laughs> to be back? Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I was essentially on maternity leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is literally what I was doing. You remember um, how to play the game? I do remember just about how to play the game. I've listened to all of the episodes, which oh. is more than you can say for Dave. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than you can say for the other three of us. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Matt's done a bit more. Oh, no, uh, Helen. Have you? Yeah. We're up, to sp- we're up to date on everything that's happening. All the homework being done. Well, we have a mix of, of preparedness. Uh, <laughs> regardless of how prepared you feel, are we all ready to play right now? Yes! <laughs> 14 years ago, a couple and their daughter were killed on a hillside outside Sheridan's Rosebriar Forest. Tonight, the lone survivor of that attack has returned to the same site. Chris, can you describe that lone survivor? He is in his early to mid twenties, like pretty pretty stacked, but like in a heavily built, strong sort of way, but not like strong man hits the gym, but just like uh, fitness levels high. Um, he's wearing. An overly tight T-shirt with uh, Ginny's shop logo on it. Um, <laughs> it's the only one that she had left over, and she doesn't let him buy another one. And uh, he is looking a little bit, well, sad, I suppose, really, in the situation he's currently in. Uh, but he is, yeah, he's standing there and looking at the site where it happened. Cam is a bit out of his element here because he's here to do some magic which does not come naturally to him. No. <laughs> um, magic and cam aren't the best combination. Let's put it that way. But needs must. Absolutely. You're here to enchant a weapon. And Ginny Greenteeth, who uh, is currently very distracted by a legal battle, um, has still... <laughs> managed to take time out to design and teach Cam a ritual to imbue his axe with the power to destroy his hated enemy, ghouls. Oh, baby. And the ritual is this. To enchant a weapon to avenge a wrong visited upon you, you must first take the weapon to the exact spot where you were wronged. You must anoint the weapon in your own blood, thus prophesizing the blood it will spill. You must then bury the axe and do not return for three nights. Oh boy. Okay. Well, Cameron pulls out, pulls out an axe, Cabby, and he um, looks at it. So it's like a fireman's axe, I suppose, like a sort of carbon fiber sort of body and steel head. And he sort of looks at it and he's, um, he doesn't really give much away at the best of times, but he's sort of staring at it and, and he's staring at the spot where he remembers where the tent was and he knows where he was with the rock in his hands, wearing a very different weapon in his mind. And he actually uses the blade of the axe to dig a small trench in the floor and lays the axe in there and takes that small pocket knife and just slices his hand and dribbles the blood over the 
over the axe. And as he does so, he sort of like pictures the moment where he smashed the head of a ghoul and that moment where he's now covered in what he imagines to be ghoul blood and he looks around to see the ripped tent, the bodies of his family around him. And as the blood drips onto the axe, it was like uh, his fury and anger is also dripping out and you can almost see like a shimmer come over the axe and he does it more and more. He just keeps pumping in the, the nightmare that he's lived every night. The thing that allows him to remember these creatures is this nightmare that he has every night of this memory. He splatters it, basically just as much blood as he can squeeze out of his hand. Take one harm. Who else is on the hillside to witness this ritual? Briar's there. <laughs> to, um, I'd like to say, kind of add moral support. <laughs> yeah, was Briar invited or has Briar just shown up to witness this? Briar has showed up and is currently watching this from the same spot that they watched or, or saw Cam brain the ghoul originally. And if Cameron had been listening out, and I imagine he's very much focused in his own world, so he probably hasn't noticed this. But um, I think there would have been kind of, just before he started the ritual, kind of growls and uh, like rustles and squawks, as I think a lot of the Fae would have wanted to come and watch Cameron do magic, because he's not magic, and kind of poke fun at this human trying to, to do something. And um, actually, let me just check. Oh, sorry, Chris. Briar is a, a, a mischievous, joyful fey creature, and their pure drive at any given time is to be mischievous and partake in joy mm-hmm. uh, and must make a really active effort to resist <laughs> taking opportunities to play pranks yeah, and, so... and make themselves <laughs> joyful. So Strat has just failed the role to resist doing that. Yeah. So I just wanted to resist it, so I rolled. So that's experience, because <laughs> uh, that was acting under pressure. Oh no, what's going on? What, what How does do? Briar interrupt this incredibly solemn moment? Briar saw this from a tree originally. Yes, what form is Briar in at this point? Uh, Briar like is, a, a sh- is a shape-shifting puka fae. They are a crow sat above the spot where it happened... Ooh, an ominous form to take, especially mm. around Cam. Yes. Uh, just as the kind of the climax of this ritual takes place, Cameron just suddenly feels a little bit wet on his head and on his ear, and the bird has pooped on Cameron's head and flutters down, lands on his shoulder, and squawks very loudly in his ear. As Cameron is <laughs> just finishing patting down the mud and the dirt, he just goes, fuck you, Tinkerbell. <laughs> fuck you so hard. Just not right now, mate. Not right now. Crow pops down on the floor and becomes Briar. What does Briar look like now that they've, they've turned into their own form? They are two and a half foot tall. <laughs> They are green with uh, red hair and are wearing a white smock. No trousers. Donald Duck in it. 
I thought you lot thought being pooped on by birds was good luck. I thought you might want some. Did what? it work? Uh, time and a place, Tink. Just t- time and a place, mate. It'll work. Okay. Yeah. He just wiped his ear <laughs> and just wipes it in Tinkerbell's face. <laughs> I'll see you later. And he stands up and starts walking away. Cam, as you wipe your ear, you notice the sound of hoofbeats in the distance. Galloping hoofbeats. Uh, are you hearing that, Tink? Yep, and it's not me. Hmm. And as you were turning to go, and as you say that, they've drawn closer. They felt like, it sounded like they were sort of miles away on a distant track. And only seconds later, it sounds like they're on the hillside. Hmm. Briar instantly turns into their own horse form of Black Stallion and turns to face the source of the noise and kind of huffs and stamps their feet and gets ready, I guess. Cameron has a duffel bag next to him, which he always brings with him everywhere he goes. (laughs) And he just slides out a leather jacket, biker jacket, and the helmet goes over the head. And he just reaches back in and pulls out a shotgun. <laughs> he goes, all right then, Susie. Let's do this. Briar, turning to face the direction that the hoofbeats are coming from, you see the moonlit hillside under the waxing moon. And you see a shape appear, uh, approaching in a blur, moving faster than the eye can track. In the moment that your eye fixes on this approaching shape, it is upon you both. A bulky, dark shape, taller than a man. It wheels in place, changing direction, as it kind of bends its course around the two of you. You can just glimpse, it's still moving incredibly fast, but you can just glimpse as it corners Mm. the rough shape of a horse and rider. The rider is whipping round, mm. and Briar, something comes towards you. It has whipped something in your direction, and you feel yourself splashed with something warm in a kind of weird mirror of having just, you know, splashed Cameron yourself. <laughs> mm. Something coats Briar in their horse form. And then the shape is off again. The hoofbeats were thunderous as it moved around the two of you. And they are now swiftly withdrawing again at unnatural speed. The shape still blurred. Uh, what the fuck was that? <laughs> mm, absolutely. <laughs> if either of you would like to roll, I think, investigate a mystery to see whether you can like get a better idea of what this was as it passed. Sure, this is a kick some ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's kick some ass if you want to start shooting at it, sure. Uh... You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's moving away at great speed, but you it's within rifle range still. You could get the rifle up and get a shot off at it before it's out of range. Oh, but we don't know that it's hurt. Does, does, does Bra look hurt in my very quick... Briar, Briar, you didn't feel any pain, Mm -hmm. so Briar is not like in visible distress, other than being like confused at being covered in something. Okay. Ah, does he want to start a fight straight away? 
This would Cameron. be what what is what is Cameron's split second instinct? Because Cam really only has a split second. Yeah, to right. To I think he'd probably try to shoot the legs out of the yeah. horse. To be fair, okay. So with, just with the shotgun, he sees something flying forward. He thinks, right, being attacked. Bang at the legs of the horse. Okay, roll to kick some ass. Plus tough. So that is a six. That's an eight total. Okay, you're pretty sure that the shot hit home, you saw like a, a slight deviation in course, but then it's out of sight over the next rise, still moving away at incredible speeds, and the sound of hoofbeats is now fully faded. Right. Mm. Uh, Briar shifts into the form of uh, a dog. <laughs> Basset hound. Flavour of the month. <laughs> sure. And does the thing that dogs do when they <laughs> shake <laughs> to get all of the stuff off of them does it come off like water when briar in dog form shakes there is definitely a spray of droplets pink <laughs> stop it will you please mate come on and once done briar's going to give a good old sniff and i want to investigate a mystery and see if i can work out what this stuff is uh it smells of blood mm. i would like to investigate a mystery and see if i can find out more about what blood this it is. Of course it was blood. Yeah. <laughs> so blood make, make a roll, and it, this covers both you kind of investigating the, the blood that you are now coated in, yeah. and also like replaying your memory of this incredibly fast event to see whether you okay. spotted anything as it passed. Cool. I'm, I'm using my gain plus one mm-hmm. because my form's superior sense of smell. Uh, but that's a fail, because that's a six, which is a fail? Yeah. You didn't get a good enough look at this thing mm-hmm. as it passed. So all you know is what I've already told you, that there was a vague shape of horse and rider and it moved incredibly fast and there was a sound of hoofbeats and you're now covered in what smells like blood. The result of the fail is that you've, you've splattered Cameron in it as well. I'm swiping off. The, <laughs> i got to rag out the duffel bag and I start to wipe. I'd like to have a look at the hoof prints. Do they look... Mm-hmm particularly larger or are they do they seem unnatural obviously it was going super fast but is there anything in my monstrous knowledge was it like a i don't know a centauri sort of thing or was it a man and a horse or what what roll, what can i tell from looking at roll, roll to investigate mystery uh sure that is a seven total seven total so you get one question off investigate a mystery okay so what sort of creature was it then so cam got a better look Cam goes, like, icy and dissociated in stressful situations, and you've got kind of slow-motion vision. Sure. So Cam saw that what just blurred past the two of you was a rider in dark red on a black horse carrying a bucket, and the rider had no head. And the rider swung the bucket and covered Briar in its contents as it blurred past. I relate this to Briar. You've been around for a while, mate. Ever heard of a headless horseman? (laughs) Back into Briar form, now wearing red (laughs) top. Uh, No, still covered in this blood. And um, blood's not good. Blood's bad. Generally, 
if you're going to cover somebody in blood, it's not for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Was it? Was it? Def- was it aimed at Briar specifically? I don't think you can work that out with the roles that you've yeah. done. Yeah, so a bigger far. target, I guess. Because you're a big horse, weren't you, at the time? Was a big horse. The things that you do notice, though, are first of all, as Briar shifts shape, mm. they are remaining covered in blood, and as Cameron gets a rag and you know dabs or, or brushes at the blood that has been spattered on him, it's not coming off. Thanks, Briar. What? Thanks for splattering with this unremovable blood, irremovable, whatever it's called. Rap, rap, rap. Oh well. I mean, I got it off by shaking. Maybe shake? I'm not... Have no. a shake. I'm not, Just I'm try not. it. Give it a good little shake. Just got to use that hip action. I'm not, sh- I'm not shaking. I'm not... Cameron slowly shakes to see whether it works, because <laughs> magic is weird. And he shakes about... But you might have to shake a little bit. I'm not shaking. No, and he walks off. <laughs> <laughs> lovies it's me matt your compare while the players are getting ready for their next scene why don't we take a little look through the program together so first and most obvious thing to say is we are back in your headphones i hope you're happy to have us back we didn't actually really go away we were still doing stuff all the whole time that we weren't releasing episodes here on the podcast feed In case you missed it, you should be checking out our YouTube channel where you can find an entire season of The Feed. In that series, we were playing a game called Unreal by Black Armada Games, and it is me and Josh and Ellen playing contestants in a Big Brother house where something very weird is going on. It's our very first foray into video recording and and a video series. I think it worked out pretty well. I think there's some good creepy, slow burn, slightly comic horror going on there. Uh, so if you missed that, it's now available to binge in full, uh, short sort of five to six minute episodes. Go grab the playlist on our YouTube channel. You can find that linked from merelyroleplayers.com. Next item. If you enjoy what we do here in our main house productions where we're playing Monster of the Week in the ongoing Vigil story set in Sheridan. You might be interested also in the Sheridan Inquirer, which is a semi-regular, when I am able to find time to put them together, uh, publication that first of all gives you all of the tools and information and stats and things that you need to run the same adventures that we are playing with your own Monster of the Week group. So you still need a copy of Monster of the Week uh, by Michael Sands and Evil Hat, but the Sheridan Inquirer will let you play against the Playtime Sharks or the Winter King from Cold Snap or the Tourist Trap uh, and give you all of the details about locations, non-player characters, monsters, minions, etc. that you need to make that happen and see whether your Monster of the Week group might make different decisions to ours and whether you might uh, do better or worse against the monster than we do. 
And then the other half of the Sheridan Inquirer is a kind of law supplement for the Sheridan setting. So if you're enjoying Vigil and you want a little bit more background, a little bit more backstory and history for the location, some of the things that have happened in the past of the town, some more details about how the omission effect works or how the Department of Omissions Doom operates. You can find all of that in issues of the Sheridan Inquirer. My original plan with these was that as a season or a production of Vigil ended, the corresponding issue of the Sheridan Inquirer would come out. I've never quite managed to stick to that. Uh, I've got a little bit behind. But the issue for Tourist Trap, our third Vigil series, is now available. Because that's now available, I've dropped the price of the Playtime and Cold Snap issues. And the Bad Dog issue is on its way very soon. I'm fully intending to catch up so that when this production ends... As the last episode drops, you'll be able to pick up the Quarry issue of the Sheridan Inquirer and get straight to playing through this same mystery that you've just heard the first part of. If you do pick up the Sheridan Inquirer and if you do play any of these mysteries with your Monster of the Week group, I would love to hear about it and I want to hear all the details of what happened differently to when we played it. You can find all of the issues of the Sheridan Inquirer by going to merelymat.itch.io or going to foggyoutline.com and clicking on Games. The links to that and to the feed are also going to be in the show notes for this episode. Next up, I want to make sure you all know about Rhine. That's R-Y-N-E, which is a new role-playing game from Furtive Shambles. I'm really glad that we managed to get back on the air in time to promote this because Ryan is crowdfunding on Indiegogo right now and it's actually in the final few days. It has met its goal, but I'm in time to tell you to go throw them some money and help them unlock some really cool stretch goals. I met the Furtive Shambles team at Dragon Meet uh, the first year I went in the podcast zone promoting their show uh, These Flimsy Rituals, which I highly recommend. Uh, And for the first season of that, they are playing a prototype version of this game, Rhine. It's all about people journeying and traveling and learning to live in harmony with these landscapes shaped by enormous godlike titans, some of which are dead and dying, poisoning the land, affecting the land around them, uh, others of which kind of amble around, hardly aware of the existence of the people around them. The setting is really, really kind of um, quiet and spooky and uh, a lot of the time sad, but also very hopeful. And the mechanics are really interesting as well. It's powered by the apocalypse, similar to Monster of the Week. So rolling two six-sided dice, adding something, and getting this range of outcomes from from miss to full success. But instead of stats like we have here in Monster of the Week, your characters uh, have different emotions, and what you add to your role depends on how your character is feeling at that particular time. 
if you listen to the first season of these flimsy rituals, you'll hear that in action. And if you head to the Indiegogo page for Rhine, and in fact, there's a free play kit available as well, you'll be able to see how the Furtive Shambles team have evolved that into something that I think is really interesting and kind of unique in the role-playing game area. So head to the link in the show notes for this episode uh, to the Rhine Indiegogo campaign, check it out, grab the play kit, see if you like the look of it, have a look at all of the campaign materials on that page, and uh, hopefully you'll feel like throwing them some, pledging them some cash to help them unlock some cool new stuff. Finally, before I go call beginners for the uh, actors to get ready for their next scene, uh, I just want to tell you about another show that you might enjoy. I feel like we here sit at the intersection of role-playing games and theatre nerds and lovies, and so I think anyone listening to us would get a kick out of Play On Podcasts. This is a series that reimagines Shakespeare plays for a modern audience for an audio-first medium. The plays are rewritten in modern English verse, featuring original musical composition, featuring award-winning actors, and written especially for the podcast medium. Right now they're doing Twelfth Night, and helpfully, the productions break down into bite-sized kind of 25-minute, half-hour episodes, but then once a production is finished, they helpfully also drop the entire production as one single episode. So you can go back and enjoy their previous productions, like Macbeth and King Lear, uh, as single self-contained episodes, or you can follow along with the current Twelfth Night as it's going. It's drama, it's theatre, it's for podcast lovers. I think if you like us, you'll really like them. So go ahead, so subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you usually get your podcasts. Right now, though, please return to your seats in the main house. The next scene is about to begin. The next day, in Melody's cafe and record shop, Renko is there doing paperwork. Oh boy, so much paperwork. Uh, while Melody is tending shop. Melody looks mostly human-female-like. She um, is quite casually dressed in a sort of alt-hippie-ish type of way. She's heavily tattooed. And if one were to look very closely, one might notice that the, many of the tattoos are hiding scars and stitching. Yeah. Uh, but one would, one would have to look pretty close, yeah. and a normal person would probably forget that they'd seen that after a certain amount of time. Yeah, there's some good cover-up work being done, <laughs> yeah. Renko is a human woman in her mid-30s. She still insists on wearing what was her sort of agency uniform, which is a kind of pretty tatty sort of navy blue suit over a white t-shirt and she is sat at a table in melodies uh with a big stack of papers in front of her and a couple of books and uh some things that look like the notes of percy byron <laughs> from a recent mystery uh that she is trying to make sense of so that she can do some kind of reasonable level of 
cover-up of the big mess that everybody made. Can I roll to connect the dots? Of course, yes! Thank you for the reminder. This is the beginning of the mystery for Renko. Okay. The role that the flake can make at the start of the mystery. First good roll of the game. Uh, So I do roll plus sharp, which is two. Eight, nine, ten. Yay! Which means I get to hold two. Yeah. Give me two of those little skull tokens. Matthew, thank you very much. And so at any point during this uh, production, uh, Vicky can ask, can spend one of those tokens to ask a question that will tie things into the wider mystery. Mm-hmm. Or a, a wider mystery of her choosing. Yeah. <laughs> there may be many ongoing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Do we reckon Melodies is busy at this point, or is it kind of just just Melody and Renko? What chilling? time of day? I think it's during during the day. During the day on a weekday, so probably not packed. No, no. Maybe not before lunchtime. the lunch crowd. Okay. Yeah. Mid morning. Yeah, there might be you and Someone else taking advantage of the Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. So, <laughs> what is Melody supplying Renko with? Is it steady, steady supplies of coffee and pastries? Yeah, I think Renko probably has to be a black coffee kind of <laughs> yeah. gal, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, and definitely, yes, it pastries if they're available. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Does Renko have a tab? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which sometimes a bit gets paid towards. Um, I will remind everybody that, yeah, cakes and pastries are available because um, Melody can detach her body parts, which means she can leave her hands to bake overnight while she recharges. So efficient. Such efficiency. Renko really respects that. Uh, so I think I'm probably doing quite a lot of huffing and puffing over this information that I have out in front of me because I'm pretty I'm pretty irritated <laughs> about everything that I'm having to try to deal with. Melody comes over with a, a fresh coffee and switches the cups over and goes, how's it going? I just, some of this is absolute just oh this is absolutely wild it's so difficult to try and make head nor tail of it this is why i've just you know if i'm involved from the beginning it's just better really for being able to try and make some semblance of sensible decisions well sometimes these things happen and they might have kept you out of it if they thought they could because they wanted to keep you safe well yeah okay fine but that is not really everyone else's job is it so now i've got this huge stack of nonsense to try and make sense of and a lot of, you know, questions from people at the council that I'm just trying to, you know, smooth over. So, you know, it's doable, but I'm just, I'm just, just a bit annoyed about the amount of work that it's going to take. I don't know why Percy feels the need to write some of it in rhyming couplets either. I know, it's really frustrating. (laughs) And I think some of it feels like it's completely in code. And really, why does she insist on writing it all down? I just, yeah. I mean, at least she took some notes, unlike everybody else. (laughs) The door to the cafe opens. And standing in the doorway is uh, a large man now scanning the interior, barrel-chested, wearing a pinstripe charcoal grey suit that used to fit better than it currently does. A craggy-lined face. He has one of his hands is inside his jacket. And Renko would see this is a jacket that is cut to hide an armpit holster. This man is Ernest Bering an agent of the Department of Emissions. Uh, Renko may or may not be acquainted with Ernest. So Renko, before she was furloughed and her team disbanded, 
worked as a sort of embedded agent as part of a community team here in Sheridan specifically. Ernest is based at Department of Emissions HQ in London and travels all over the country doing kind of troubleshooting and, and specific projects and, and missions and things. So your paths may or may not have crossed in terms of personally meeting. Mm-hmm. You may be tangentially aware of him. What do you reckon? When when he walks through the door, is there recognition? Yeah, I think I know of him. I think I feel like he has a level of fame at the agency that everyone like it's much more likely that I know who he is and he has no idea who I am. Or like maybe we have met at like, you know, company picnic or something um <laughs> at some point in the past but my expectation is that he would not I would fall beneath his notice and he'd be unlikely to remember me whereas he looms pretty large in the agency so I would remember him um I think my immediate concern is just putting away any documentation that I have so that if he happens to come over and speak to me he doesn't spot anything related to the things that have been going on in Sheridan that are maybe supposed to fall beneath the agency's notice, including probably the existence of Percy. Given that, it is perhaps surprising that after doing a brief scan of the the cafe, uh, Bering's eyes lock on yours, Renko, Mm -hmm. and he comes over to your table. Renko, isn't it? That's right, sir. Is this... uh, can we talk here? Uh, Renko just has a little scan around. His eyes flick to, to Melody. This is a perfectly safe place for us to have a discussion. Um, but if there's somewhere more private we need to go to, then I can arrange that. He pulls out the chair opposite you and sits down heavily. Renko, I've got a, an assignment for you. Simon, sir, I'm on furlough, technically. I know. That's what makes you perfect for it. It's very hush-hush. Renko knows immediately mm-hmm. that this is a lie. Yes, thought so. <laughs> saw, that one, saw that one coming a mile off. <laughs> Whatever Ernest Bering is here to talk about, it is not an official assignment right. from the Department of Emissions. Go on, sir, tell me more. Out of his jacket... He pulls, look, it looks almost like a wedding invitation, like a small A6 card, textured paper, mm-hmm. calligraphy on it, and puts it on the table in front of you. Very faintly in one corner, there is a little scattering of blood. It says, you are cordially invited to join the hunt. Mm. Muster Point, Abbey Links Clubhouse, Sheridan. And it is signed Trelane, Master, and Sharrock, Huntsman. Ernie leans down over the table, still with one hand inside his jacket. This was delivered anonymously to the Department of Omissions a couple of days ago. We're not sure exactly what it refers to but you're the only agent still on the books with specific knowledge of this place and what the significance of this might be right sir um can i ask which agent received the invitation renko may well ask this because she can tell that this was another lie yes (laughs) (laughs) 
That's need to know, Renko. I, I feel like maybe I need to know that information, <laughs> sir. <laughs> the assignment is simply investigate this. Investigate this location. Investigate these names. Investigate what this hunt might be. And turn aside any danger that it might represent. So were you sent the invitation? I'm trying to work out what is a good role here. Is <laughs> <laughs> it investigate or is it I think it's investigate a mystery. Okay. Yeah. Oh. You're trying to get information yeah. from Ernie about this. Oh, it's not looking good. It's a five, six, seven. Okay. You get one, one question off investigate yeah. a mystery. Yeah, what is being concealed? <laughs> I mean, yeah, what is being concealed here? Yeah, he doesn't directly answer the question, but just whatever it is, whatever technique Renko is using to figure out that he's telling big porkies. Mm-hmm. You can it's also... those tiny facial expressions. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's how she does it. Yeah, watching micro expressions, yeah. when you ask the direct question, were you saying mm-hmm. this? He doesn't answer directly, but you know the answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. This was an invitation sent not to the Department of Emissions, but to Ernie specifically. Interesting. And he is trying to get you to investigate it while thinking that it is a DO assignment, but it isn't. Yeah. Another answer to that, what is being concealed mm-hmm. here question, because obviously that question covers a multitude of sins <laughs> in this particular situation, that the hand inside Ernie's jacket He's clamping down on a wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not removed it the entire time. He's not removed yeah. it the whole time, and he sat down very heavily. He's hurt mm-hmm. and trying to hide it. Yeah, not hiding it very well. <laughs> <laughs> what is Melody doing while this conversation's happening? I'm hoping she's eavesdropping real hard. <laughs> <laughs> I um, would like to think that Melody has got good hearing so she can hear yeah. ears wherever you because want because there's an right? ear on the table <laughs> 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 like place a bug on something like take off ear double sided sticker tape <laughs> under the table I mean why not yeah just pop it off and yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm c- convinced that she can hear everything and that Ernie wouldn't know mm-hmm. but she's just busying with her back turned far enough away that he isn't too worried about mm-hmm. what she can hear. You're in a position that if you feel it's necessary, you could sort of turn up to the table and be like, can I get you anything? <laughs> and interject in the conversation. Yeah, I think that would absolutely be what she would do if she felt that it was getting heated mm-hmm. because she would want to keep Renko out of any trouble. But it seems calm at the moment, even though she's got no idea who Ernie is. Sir, is there anything else you want to mention at this point that might assist me in my investigation? Just one thing. There's a a young man here in town. His name is Cameron Jarvis. Keep him out of this. It's vitally important, understand? Okay, yeah, sure. Wasn't planning to involve him anyway. He seems like a right loose cannon... Oh, you are you are familiar with the young man. Though. I mean, I've come across him, but we've not had much to do with each other. How do you know him? As you ask that question, the two of you both here, and actually Ernie's head sort of perks up at this point as well, the distant sound of hoofbeats on cobblestones 
And Renko, you see Ernie visibly react to this, not just like somebody who's just heard a horse, but somebody who seems alarmed and scared. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we've got cobbled streets, haven't we? So I don't know how often there are horses, it's just trying but it's going to be town. distinct on cobbles, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. 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 And yeah. therefore, wibbly horse, wibbly horse. <laughs> is going to be <laughs> strange <laughs> sounding. I'm glad I went with wibbly. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. if you didn't hear a horse in town very often, I would be like, if he wasn't there and looking visibly scared, I might at least be like at the window, like, mm. is Briar trying through town as a horse? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Taking someone else for a ride. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Melody's Cafe is on uh, Sheridan's High Street, mm-hmm. the, the Market Street, which is a, a historic cobbled yeah. Market Street. You're right, sir. You look a little perturbed. We should be all right. Just wait for it to pass. I'm sorry. Is the sound the? This is okay. It's all connected. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I knew it all along. Melody's gonna go and have a look. Yeah. Why okay. not? Because there's part of her that's just like a a bored lo- local yeah. <laughs> person. So um, she's going towards the door to yeah look out. Open, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the time it takes Melody to get from the the counter yeah. to the door of the cafe, the hoofbeats have gone from distant to thunderously right upon you. And as Melody opens the door of the cafe, something bulky blurs past the door, and Melody is great. Oh, God. In It's broad daylight, so everybody can see very clearly right now blood oh my goodness melody are you okay wait that's not that's not it's not your blood um, no um uh i don't know what's happened i'm not hurt the hoofbeats have already withdrawn down the, the other end of market street ernie pushes his chair back like jumps out of his seat as much as he can in his state and is like stepping away from melody What is she? Helen Stratton as Melody, Chris Starkey as Cameron Jarvis, Vicky as Renko, and Strat as Briar. Sound design for this production is by Helen Stratton, and the theme music is by Alexander Pankhurst. I'm Matt Boothman, and I play the supporting cast, as well as editing and producing the episode. We were playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat Productions. You can find Monster of the Week at genericgames.co.nz. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on.
And Renko, you see Ernie visibly react to this, not just like somebody who's just heard a horse, but somebody who seems alarmed and scared. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I, I was trying to imagine what somebody who's just heard a horse might react like. <laughs> and like, it's a specific oh, a answer person that's heard a horse. 